we are back with episode three. A lot has happened since we've last met, but the Heat-Lakers finals game's over, and the Lakers are the 2020 champions, as I predicted. It took six games and not five, which is funny because the Heat actually were not full strength for some of the games, and I predicted the Lakers would beat them in five if everyone stayed healthy. I, you know, I did not think injuries would play a role in the series. However, they did. Um... Let's take you through, we're going to take you through each individual game. Game one was another blowout. 98-116, the Lakers just absolutely trashed the Heat. And it's funny because the Heat were only down three. At the end of the first, they were down 17.5, but going to the fourth, they were down 26. So the game actually, it was, it was a 26-point game going into, the four, going into the fourth quarter. So the game was over before the fourth quarter even started. Um, Anthony Davis had 34 in that game. LeBron had 25, 13-9. You know, the, it's, those two were great. Uh, Caldwell Pope at 13, Caruso had 10, and Green had 11. But it was just an overall, it was a thrashing. The Lakers looked dominant. They looked like the way better team. And I kind of thought after game one that this could be a four-game series, and it was just such a dominant performance. The other side, Bam and Drogic both got injured in game one, which I think which really hurt the Heat. Obviously, the, I mean, Bam and Drogic have been the second, the second and third best players in this Miami Heat team throughout the playoffs, I would say, overall, even though Todd Hero has been great. Um, Butler had 23 points. I thought he could. I thought he should have shot more in game one. To me, he was a little bit passive. Um, but he didn't really get help much else, though. Kendrick Nunn at 18, and Kendrick Nunn actually did not play much against the Celtics. because But Jarrett got injured, so he played minutes. He played pretty well at 18. Uh, Tyler Harrow had 14, and, and Crowder had 12. But that was a, it was an absolute blowout. Um, in going to game two, game two was, was a little bit different. Um, Bam did not play, neither did Dragic. Lakers were fi- heavily favored, and the Lakers, the Lakers were up six at the end of the first quarter. They were up fifteen and a half, and going to the fourth, they were only up ten going to the fourth. The Heat made it interesting, but it, it, it kind of it was a stalemate in the fourth as the Heat lost by ten. It was a tie, twenty one twenty one in the fourth quarter. Uh, Butler played forty five minutes in that game. He had twenty five points, thirteen assists, eight boards. He played really well. He didn't get much help anywhere else. Uh, someone who I thought was really impressive for the Heat was Kelly Olenek, who had 24 points and nine rebounds. Which he, the problem with Kelly Olenek is, and he played because Bam was hurt. He's a big guy, but uh, I don't want to mince words, but Kelly, Kelly Olenek down low is kind of, a, kind of a wuss. He gets bullied a lot. I mean, he's seven feet tall, 240, and he gets bullied. He gets thrown around. He played very offensively. Shot the ball, shot the ball, shot the ball, excuse me, real well. Um, but, you know, Davis, Davis kind of punished him, as did that Lakers interior. Bam is really a guy who was the anchor defensively. Lakers are, the Lakers already have, a, have probably the best big in the NBA, top six player, Anthony Davis. Bam's a good matchup. Bam is a good matchup for Davis for the Heat in the way that, you know, Davis is still better and he's still going to hurt you, but he can't kill you maybe if, if Bam's on him. And, you know, Davis had his way with the Heat. Davis, Davis had 32 points and 14 rebounds in 40 minutes. He just destroyed. He, LeBron at 33-9-9. He was excellent. And Rondo at 16 points and 10 assists. Rondo showed up to play. I mean, it was, it was, it was a tough game for the Heat. We, no one expected them to win. And basically after this game, I was like, well, the series is about over. Um, we knew Drogic wasn't coming back for game three. Um, Bam wasn't expected to come back for game three. He was doubtful. Um, it was announced at game, at, at game time that, that Bam would not play. So I thought, you know, a little bit before game time, the band wouldn't play. So I was, I was not optimistic for the Heat. But what I did not know was that Jimmy Butler, in my opinion, had one of the best finals performances I've ever watched live. 
Um, and I, I am not a LeBron fan, but LeBron James is probably the best individual basketball player of all time. And I've never seen him get outplayed um, by, by another player in a finals game when LeBron has played well. When LeBron, when LeBron has played extremely well, LeBron had 25, 10, and 8. For him, that's not it's insane, but he played pretty well. You know, To say he didn't play well would be a lie. Um, and, and Jimmy Butler just looked outstanding. I mean, Jimmy Butler looked, looked like a superstar. I've never seen him play that well in my life. Jimmy Butler was the only player ever in the history of the finals. And LeBron's been to, this was his 10th finals appearance. So he's played many finals games. He had more points, assists, and rebounds than LeBron. No one's ever done that in, in, in the same game. LeBron, Butler had 40 points, 13 assists, 11 rebounds. A 40-point triple-double. It was one of the most incredible performances I've ever seen. Um, you know, you got to give it to Jimmy Butler. This guy's a fighter. He's a dog. I mean, he didn't have Bam Adebayo. He didn't have Goran Dragic. He said, I don't care. I mean, th- th- it gives me chills just talking about it right now, even though I watched it, you know, a week ago, or whatever the number is. I mean, J- Jimmy Butler just put his team on his back. I've never seen an individual performance that great from a guy that I just don't look at as a dominant superstar. Jimmy Butler is a superstar, but the way he does it is actually, and not, people, not a lot of people have made this comparison, but I kind of think of Jimmy Butler as a poor man's LeBron James. And LeBron James is way better, but Jimmy Butler's game is pretty similar. He's a, a ball, a facilitator, who's also a forward, just as LeBron. He's a pass-first player who should shoot the ball more than he does, in my opinion, just as just same LeBron. Both of them are very good slashers, but, and neither of them can shoot the three-ball real well. Um, <laughs> and Butler just today was, I mean, excuse me, not today, but in game three was incredible. Put him back in the series. I was thrilled. I was elated by how he played. I mean, it was just such a, it was just amazing to watch him do it. I mean, crazy, crazy game. No Bam out of bio, no Goran Dragic. The Heat make it 2-1. Seriously, you know, they didn't over yet. It wasn't over yet at the time, you know. Um, Hero and Olenek both had 17 to help him out, but it was, it was all Butler. It was all Jimmy Butler. Uh, if we move on to game four, and this is the game I really thought that the Heat could have had. The Lakers won by six. Um, Bam Adebayo played. He, he came back. So there was some, you know, there was some, there was some, there was some optimism. Dragic didn't play, but Bam played 33 minutes, had 15 points. Um, Jimmy Butler had 22 points, 9 assists, 10 boards. So he played pretty well. On the other side, the Lakers, LeBron had 28, 12, and 8. And Davis had 22, 9, and 4. Um, the Lakers won by 6. At halftime, the Heat were up 3. It was tied going into the 4th. Or excuse me, no. At halftime, the Heat were down 2. And down five going into the fourth quarter. Heat were down five. And it ended up being that the Heat lost the game by six. So overall, I would say the takeaway from game four is that the Heat, when you're an under-talented team, you can't lose to close games. Uh, the Lakers are the better team. They were down 2-1. It was kind of their chance to get back into the series. And um, if you're the Lakers, you lose this game... If, they would have, if the Heat would have pulled this one out, it's 2-2. All of a sudden, it's a brand-new series. I'm mean, here feeling great, you know, going into game five. It's 2-2. But, but if I'm the Lakers, I would still be like, well, we're the better team, and now it's just a best-of-three series, and we have, we have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But if you're the Heat, you know, and you lose this game as they did, it goes from all of a sudden being, oh, it's 2-2. We can win this thing. To, well, we're down 3-1, and now we have to beat LeBron James three straight times in the NBA Finals, which just isn't really going to happen with the talent they had, with, they, with the talent they possessed. It was a back-and-forth game. A fun game to watch, but the Lakers did win, and that to me basically ended the series. Um, I just did. I was like, "There's no way the Heat are coming back down for three-one." But and really, I think one of the biggest what ifs is had the Heat won Game Four, completely different series. All of a sudden, it becomes two-two, 
you know? Um, and, you know, obviously narrative is the crazy part because you can't say that the Heat and Lakers would have had the same mindset coming into game five as they, as they would have had it been 2-2 because the Heat were playing for their playoff lives and the Lakers were playing to win a championship. But again, they knew if they lost, they'd still... You know, all they'd have to do is win one of the next two even if they lost game five. And game five was, was a good game. It was a very good game. The Heat won by three. Um, I was incredibly impressed yet again by Jimmy Butler at 35, 12, and 11. I mean, this guy's a gamer. He's a dog. LeBron at 40, 13, 7. Davis at 28, 12, and 3. I mean, LeBron James hit, hit, I think, seven or eight threes, which when LeBron hit seven or eight threes, you never win a game. When LeBron James hit threes, he's impossible to guard. He's the best player of all time easily because he's just not stoppable because you can't stop on the drive. So LeBron was making those threes, and the Heat were just taking it with him. The Heat were taking these punches and responding. You know, Duncan Robbins had an amazing game after having a bad series really in the finals. had an amazing game. He had 26. Um, you know, none at 14, Harrow at 12, out about a 13, Crowder at 11. They only played seven guys. Everyone was in double figures, but Higadal, we played 20 minutes and had no points. Uh, the Lakers, Cole Pope at 16, but it was really, he was the only other guy in double figures besides LeBron and AD at 40 and 28. It was a crazy game. It was, it was, it was a back and forth game. Um, the Heat were up four going into the half. They were up, actually, they were up six going into the fourth quarter. They only got scored in the fourth quarter. He won every quarter but the fourth, and they got, they got scored by three, but it was a great game. I, I, um, it was about as entertaining as it can get. Both teams shot the ball pretty well from three. Both teams made 14 threes. Um, both teams shot 46% from the field. Uh, the Heat were 38, 38 of 83 from the field. The Lakers were 30 of eight, 38 of 82. The Heat were 14 of 33 from three. The Lakers were 14 of 38. So it was really a very similar game. Both teams, I mean, you look at both teams made the same amount of threes. Both teams made the same amount of field goals. And the only difference was one team shot one more field goal than the other. Both teams shot the same amount of free throws, except for the Heat took shot one more. They were 21 and 22, which won in that game. They looked for 18 and 21. So very similar free throw, free throw attempts. Heat took one more. Three-point attempts. The Heat, the Heat took five less. And field goal attempts, the Heat took one more. So, you know, team, similar. both teams made the same amount of field goals, the same amount of threes, and attempted almost the same amount of free throws. So it was a very similar game in that way of, like, of the, on the stat sheet. Um... I think what was big for the Heat was they didn't get destroyed in the offensive rebound, on, on, on the offensive rebounds. They allowed 12, but they got nine themselves. They got rebounded by six, but it wasn't terrible. It was, you know, it's a winnable thing. Both teams turned the ball over about the same amount of time, 15 to 13. So it was really a very, very, both teams played pretty similarly. Both teams had the same amount of threes, same amount of field goals, took about the same amount of free throws. So in that way, it was pretty similar. It's just, you know, it's basically like saying, hey, uh, Miami, you shoot the same amount. Lakers, you shoot the same amount of free throws. You, you guys will make the same amount of threes. You guys will make. The, you guys shoot the same amount of field goals. Whoever shoots better wins. And it just and it just kind of came down to, you know, just little plays at the big little plays at the end of the game, just doing little things. And he just took this. They they controlled the game throughout. They didn't want to go home. Um, I was extremely impressed with the Miami Heat. I'll tell you, the Miami Heat, in my opinion, I had them losing in a six or seven game series in Milwaukee when they first played Milwaukee in the second round. Uh, they completely proved me wrong. I mean, they're just they're, they're the perfect yeah they're the perfect combination of of shooters, um, perimeter perimeter defense, a a, a a passing facilitating big who's also can uh, defend the perimeter and a star who is unselfish, gets his teammates involved and then him and can take over games when needed. They're the perfect. The problem is, and they ran this against the Lakers. They just don't have as much talent. Um, you know, but, you know the heat the heat. Lost to the Celt- beat the Celtics in six games. They were not as talented as the Celtics. Now the Celtics did not have Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward. They had them both. Excuse me, but neither of them were fully healthy. Uh, Kemba was about eighty percent at all playoffs, and Gordon was just not ready. 
as you could tell if you watched. But, you know, the Heat, the Heat, man, you know, that is how you, you, you play. That's how you play team basketball. I mean, if you ever look up how, how can you overcome a talent gap, watch the Miami Heat. You know, these guys, are they play their hearts out, and they're just really, really talented. And it's funny, a lot of teams think that they're going to win the championship. They're going to be a contender for years to come. They're going to they're gonna return next year. I don't think they're going to return next year because I think, I think for the Heat, it was kind of the perfect storm. I think that, you know, um, not to get off topic, but I think that the Brooklyn Nets next year will have Durant, Kyrie Irving, you know, who, and that, 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 that team's incredible with Tim Witty, with Karis LeVert, with Jared Allen, with DeAndre Jordan, with, with, even with guys like Joe Harris. Um, so that's a deep team. The Nets are a really tough team to beat and definitely a more talented team than the Heat. But, but chemistry is, a th- is an issue for Brooklyn. They haven't played together as, as a team, really, because Durant didn't play all of last year, and Kyrie only played about half the year. And when he did play, they didn't play that well. So you got Boston, who's just going to return with the same team, basically. Um, when, when the Celtics played, when the Celtics were healthy and played every guy, and by every guy I mean Smart, Hayward, Tatum, Brown, uh, Walker, Tice, when all those guys were healthy, they were 11-1. Gordon Hayward Hayward actually was having a great year, started the year, had that foot injury, which hurt him, then he had a hand injury, I think it was a hand injury, then a foot injury, then he sprained his ankle in the bubble, really tough for him, felt really bad for him, because he was, got back into stride twice, had a really good start to the year and got hurt, then was getting back into it again, got hurt, and then got hurt in the bubble when he was, you know, everyone was kind of had had time off, so he was playing fine, but then he got hurt again, which was really frustrating for him, and for me as a Celtics fan, just because I couldn't get to see him play at full strength and see what the Celtics team's capable of. And really, I did think the Celtics could have won the finals had they been fully healthy. They matched up well with the Lakers. So, um, But that's another team, you know, next year that Miami would have to go through. Miami would also have to go through back-to-back MVP, Giannis. And people say, oh, well, they beat Giannis. This is Milwaukee Bucks in five. Well, um, you know, Milwaukee's going to make moves this season. They're going to do something. They're going to do something. And even if they're not, they're still a tough matchup. If Giannis can improve his jumper, he's, he's basically unstoppable. Um, Milwaukee has talent, and they have the means – of players to, uh, they have the talent, excuse me, they have the talent to make trades, make moves to improve themselves. So, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be tough. And even the Toronto Raptors, who took Boston to seven, even though Boston shouldn't have wanted to go to seven, I mean, they're really talented. Look at, you know, they have Kyle Lowry, they have Marcus Saul, who's a veteran, they have Serge Ibaka, they have Norman Powell, OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet. And this team is good. They have, ext- they have great depth with Ronda Hollis Jefferson, Stanley Johnson. Those guys didn't even play all series, but they're solid. Terrence Davis. He was really good. So they have, they have guys, you know, for sure they have guys. Oh, obviously, um, Pascal Siakam, you know, who struggled in the playoffs, but he's still a gamer. He's a good player. So they're going to be tough. The Indiana Pacers, um, apparently Oladipo wants out, but if they're healthy next year, Oladipo, Brogdon, Sabonis, Miles Turner, TJ Warren, you know, TJ Warren, I think really if he keeps, I mean, we saw what he did in the bubble, he can be a 23-point-per-game scorer in the NBA. He just needs to, you know, find that consistency. Brogdon, in my opinion, is one of the most efficient players in the NBA. 18 points, 10 assists every night. 90% of the free throw line. 45% three. 50% of the field. He's your 50, he's your 50, 40, 90 guy, basically. Um, Sabonis was an all-star for the first time last year. Miles Turner played well in the bubble. So they're going to be tough. So there's a lot of tough teams in the East. And then, you know, so for Miami, some people said, oh, Miami's going to repeat. In the East, we're champs. I don't think so. And even if they did... You know, and let's say they got to the finals. You're going to have to face the Clippers who are going to be revamped with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and assuming they're supporting guys. I'm assuming they'll make some moves. But, you know, the Denver Nuggets are really good, too. We saw what Joel Murray is capable of. Jokic is really good. They didn't have Will Barton. If they had Will Barton, he's 16 points per game. That's the third-best scorer in the team, you know. 
Um, you know, the Lakers, obviously, they just want to chip. They want to repeat. And, you know, the, the Rockets have Westbrook and Harden. And you can never count them out. And if they get a big guy who can rebound, watch out. So there's a lot of teams next year that could, you know, contend. Um, but that's just kind of what I was thinking when it came to the Miami Heat. Of people saying, oh, they're going to repeat. I don't think so. And by repeat, I'm saying repeat, like, an Eastern Conference Finals championship and go to the finals. I don't think, I don't think they're going to go back to the finals, much less win it. But they could. You never know. Uh, I've been wrong before. I was wrong about them this year. Be able to be wrong next year. Um, let's finish up the recap of the Heat Lakers series. Game six, which was the final game of the series, as you guys know. Um, the Lakers won by 13. And the game was far over way before it started, really. The Lakers were up eight in the end of the first. The Lakers outscored the Heat in the second quarter, 36-16, to go up 28 into halftime. They, they, they outscored the Heat by one in the fourth. I mean, the third, excuse me, to go up 29 going into the fourth quarter. The Heat outscored them by 16 in the fourth, but really no one played. The Lakers won the finals. LeBron had 28 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists. Davis had 19 points, 15 rebounds. Danny Green at 11. Roger Rondo again, 19 points. The Heat could not really get it, could not find it. Jimmy Butler at 12, 8, and 7. He struggled greatly. Bam at 25 and 10. He played well, but not much else, really. Tyler Hero did not have a game all playoffs when he had less than 10 points. His only game with less than 10 points all playoffs. Game 6 of the finals when he had 7 points in 30 minutes. He struggled. Duncan Robinson had 10 in 34 minutes. Um, Crowder had 12. No one else really got it going. Dragic attempted to come back with his 19 minutes, 5 points. Didn't really do much. Can't blame him, though. He was de- not near 100%. The Lakers became the 2020, champion, the 2020 champions, as I figured they would after, after um, making the finals. You know, as I said, I thought they were going to win five against the Heat. But overall, a great year. Um, the NBA did a great job with the bubble. There was no COVID cases. So I was really impressed with that. Um, I can't wait for next year for what's to come. But uh, next episode, we will be talking about um, some NBA offseason rumors. And we're going to be picking teams apart individually. And uh, basically, I will be saying what I think each team should do to improve and what they can do with what they have now. But, um, yeah, this is the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, stay tuned for the next one. We are back with episode four. Um, A lot of happened since we last talked. Um, Yeah. One thing, a lot of trades going on. Uh, The draft just happened. So I think that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, but first we'll talk about the trades, the moves that were made. Um, first off, let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. They traded Bloodzo, George Hill, three first-round picks and two pick swaps just for Drew Holiday. Um, for the fit, if Milwaukee's trying to win next year, Drew Holiday's the perfect guy. I mean, talk about a, a guy who's been averaging 19 points, 18 points a game for what feels like the last five years. The definition, definition of consistent, great perimeter wing defender, can shoot the three ball, smart, doesn't... Doesn't do anything wrong, really. He's an all-star caliber player. He'll never be an all-star just because of how stacked the league is, but he's one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Um, they need shooting. They made a big mistake when they gave Brog- when they didn't give Brogdon the extension, and instead they paid Bledzo, and as a result, they were, give- they were forced to give up all these picks because had they paid Brogdon and let Bledsoe go, they would never have had to make this trade. Um, they gave up George Hill, too. Solid bench piece, but you know, not a big deal. Definitely replaceable. I saw Wesley Matthews declined his player option for Milwaukee, which was expected. It was like a 2.7 mil option. Wesley Matthews was probably going to get paid between, I guess, 6 and $9 million. That's about right for him, just because he's older. But he gives you good value, definitely on a contending team. I think they should re-sign him. Um, 
through the Pelicans, I saw the first, I saw the draft conversation, I didn't know the picks they were getting. So I was like, oh, well, this, for nuance, this doesn't make sense at all. Of course, you have Lonzo Ball as your point guard, so I would expect Eric Bledsoe to be moved relatively, relatively soon. Uh, George Hill, I think, could be nice. Nice bench piece for a team that's trying to make a playoff run or try to get to the playoffs next year. You know, he could help. Uh, you got to love the picks. Love the picks they have. Um, so I don't mind the trade. Good, good trade for the moment for Milwaukee. But I think Milwaukee gave up way too much. I honestly think that three first-round picks would have been more than enough. The two pick swaps to me was just just the, the cherry the cherry on the cake for, um, I mean, no one's, they fleeced, in my opinion, the Milwaukee Bucks, even though Drew Holiday is a great basketball player. Um, another trade that Milwaukee made was, and this might fall through now, we're saying, but they traded DiVincenzo, DiVincenzo Ilyasova, and DJ Wilson in a sign and trade for Bogdan Bogdanovich. Makes a lot of sense, actually, to a certain extent, because... They need. They want another guy, kind of who can score. Now, now that they have Drew Holiday, though, you have a you have a dependable third score. You have Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis, and Devin Chen is a nice. Um, I call it the Swiss Army knife. Can shoot. Good defender. Bogdanovich is a much is a much better scorer and shooter than Devin Chen. But he's not a good not as good a defender. He's gonna want more money. So I don't know how much sense that makes. I'm fine with it because. I really think that if Bogdanovich is your fourth best scorer, I, I, I think that he is a 14, 15 point per game scorer in the NBA, so I have no problem with it. Um, I think this, the trade is fine. It might fall through. If the trade does fall through, um, it'd be interesting to see what, what Milwaukee does if they're trying to do something else. Will they try again to move DiVincenzo, Petcon, or some other pieces for maybe a better player? Um, another trade, a bigger one, uh, Chris Paul to the Phoenix Suns, essentially for Ricky Rubio, Ty Jerome, a draft pick or two, and um, Kelly Oubre. It's funny because Ricky Rubio, didn't, his stay did not last long in Oklahoma City. He was immediately traded to Minnesota. And in Minnesota, I, I do like this because they just got Anthony Edwards, and now they have a guy, you know, Russell's a scoring point guard, but then you have a legit point guard off the bench who can run in the second unit, more than capable of running the second unit. So I like it. But back to the original trade, Chris Paul to the Suns. Uh, this is really, Phoenix knows they're not going to win a championship with Booker and Chris Paul. But Phoenix has been bad for a long time. Um, and they, they put 8-0 in the bubble. That was the story of the bubble. And I think they're, they're showing signs of being competitive for the first time in five or six years, quite honestly. And I like that they said, Let, let's go get Chris Paul. Let, let's be competitive. And quite honestly, I, I, could, I could see them making the playoffs next year. The West is so stacked. But, you know, 7 or 8 seed is not unreasonable for them. You know, now they have Chris Paul. They have... They have um, Booker, of course. They have DeAndre Ayton, who's a young, the young star. Um, they have Bridges. They have uh, Cam Johnson. So they have some guys that they can do some things with. Um, I wish they wouldn't have had to get Ubre, but it kind of seemed like they had to, just because otherwise I don't see the Thunder making that trade. I, I like I like the trade for the Thunder a lot. They get they got draft compensation. They, they get Kelly Ubre. You know, the Thunder are getting picks everywhere. <laughs> you know, they got the picks. They, they've gotten picks from not just um, the Suns, but they've also gotten picks, you know, from several other teams. And the Clippers the last couple of years, and they traded Paul George. They got picks when they traded Chris Paul. When they traded West Westbrook for Chris Paul, they got a bunch of picks. So, and now they're just adding more picks. So that was, I like that trade, actually, for, for the Thunder. And I like the trade for the Suns because you're not going to win with it. And technically, the Suns, oh, like, you're giving up Kelly Rubber, who's a young talent. And if you want to be able to win for a ch- you're lowering your chances of being able to win a championship in four to five years. But those odds are, all, are already really low. And this makes them, th- this makes them uh, pretty competitive immediately. 
and also it sells tickets, you know, and it, this is a business. So I think the chances are slightly lowered after the, uh, the Suns' chances are slightly lowered to win a championship anytime soon after this trade, but I do think it'll be good. It'll be beneficial for Devin Booker, and Chris Paul can help develop those younger guys. Also, I think that this makes them potentially a playoff team. Um, Thunder again made a trade after... <laughs> the, the, the Thunder make a lot of trades. Um, traded Dennis Schroeder for Danny Green, the 28th pick. This one I don't like for the Thunder. Um, you know, they only got one draft pick out of it, the 28th pick. And, you know, it's a first-round pick, but the 28th pick, and this draft is not very good. This draft's pretty weak. I don't think anyone's disputing that. Not to mention that um, Danny Green's pretty... Has had a horrible playoffs, and Dennis Schroeder should have won six man of the year. So I think they, they did get. I think they did. They, they lost that trade. I think they won every trade they made except for this one. Um, for the Lakers, I love it. You get you, you now have a legit, a legit third scoring option, a sixth man that can really, really score the ball. I mean, you watch him play for the Thunder in the playoffs. Incredible. And I like the Thunder did. The Thunder were supposed to be really bad after getting Chris Paul, after getting Russell Westbrook. Everybody thought they were going to be bad. Last year they played out of their minds. Competed in the playoffs, lost in some of the Rockets, but we all knew they couldn't con- contend with that roster. And so they, you know, after trading Westbrook and Paul George, they, they're still a playoff team. Trade Chris Paul, get already, got some picks. Now they're trading Dana Schroeder. He's worth something, get some picks. Now they need to trade Gallinari, in my opinion, and Steven Adams to get some picks and some young guys. And I love what the Thunder are doing. Sam Christie, the GM of the Thunder, is, is a, in my opinion, a genius. That didn't love that trade, though, for the Danny Green trade. Um, the Thunder made another trade. This is, I think they've made four trades. They've, because they traded Chris Paul. That's one trade right there. Then Schroeder is two. And I guess this one would be three right here. Um, they, they immediately traded, they immediately traded um, Danny Green to Philadelphia for Al Horford in a first and second round pick. And you say, well, Horford's probably better than Danny Green. Yes, but Horford has a horrible contract. And the Thunder know they're not contending anytime soon, so they can take on this big contract because they're not trying to contend. And they had the cash base because Oklahoma City is not going to get anyone free agency big. They're not going to get a big name superstar, so they can afford to pay Horford the next couple of years, and, and they get more draft capital. Great trade for the Thunder, but for, for the same situation, it makes sense because they need they need guys. Uh, Philadelphia, I mean Philadelphia, also got Terrence Ferguson, who's a good perimeter wing. Though I don't really see where he'll fit in because Thibault is kind of, in my opinion, would take any minutes Ferguson would get. Now you have Danny Green. Also, I just don't see that really working. That much for Ferguson. Though Ferguson was just something to throw in, I guess. Um, oh, so that's the Thunder. Now Thunder now made four trades, though, included because they once they got Rubio and the and the Pinterest Paltrow, they immediately moved him. So they made four trades, got a ton of draft capital, done a good job, done a, done a real, 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 real good job. Um, now we're gonna move away from the Thunder as much as we like to stay on them because they've really made so many trades. But we're now gonna move on to a team who did not make many trades, but. A team that made one. Um, how good of a trade it will be? Only time, really. I would say could tell you. Um, it was it was a weird three-way trade. The, the Clippers, the Nets, and I believe the Pistons. The Pistons got a pick. The Pistons sent Luke Kennard to the Clippers. Um, in exchange for, a, I think, the 18th pick or something, and I think it's second rounder, uh, the Clippers sent away Shamit to Brooklyn. And Bro- so Brooklyn gave up a pick. Brooklyn gives up a pick, um, and they get Shamit, which I think makes a lot of sense. You want to contend, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, 
Clippers give up Shamit for Kennard. Slight improvement. Didn't really do much. And then the Pistons get draft capital, even though Kennard was pretty good. Don't completely understand that for the Pistons, but I don't really mind it either. It's kind of like a not really – it doesn't really do anything for me kind of trade for the Detroit Pistons. So that, that was kind of a weird but interesting trade. Um, Philadelphia also made another move. This one was a little bit weirder. They traded Josh, Josh Richardson, who had a really good playoffs, really. Him, Shake Milton, and the only two bright spots really in that, in that playoff run, and then beat a little bit. They traded Josh Richardson, who shot the ball, but shot the ball about 34, 45% in three, so pretty good three-point shooter. Great perimeter wing defense defender. Pretty good finisher, just gritty. They traded him to the Mavericks, and the Mavericks, I like this trade, for uh, Seth Curry in the 36th pick. Seth Curry, again, Philadelphia's knew their problem with shooting, and they have addressed it. They've gotten rid of Hortford, gotten rid of Josh Richardson, who both were okay three-point shooters but needed to be open, and they just don't have the spacing for that, especially Horford with his contract. Also, he can't be on the floor with Embiid. They can't spread the floor. So then now Philadelphia's added Danny Green and Seth Curry, two proven sharpshooters. And that will make them, I believe Philadelphia will really have a pretty good record next year. I, I do believe they will definitely improve. I see them as about a 50-win team. I'd say 52-30 would be about right for them. Because now you have Ben Simmons. You have uh, Shake Milton, Seth Curry... Uh, Thibault, um, Embiid, Tobias Harris. And you have a couple other guys that can, can really can, can help you out. So they're not, I mean, I don't, I don't think that Philadelphia's contenders, but I don't think that they got worse. I think, I think they got better with these trades that they, that they made. Um, we're going to move on now a little bit to kind of the draft. Um, <laughs> Anthony Edwards went to Minnesota at one. So Minnesota's team right now is... They added Edwards, gotten Rubio, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Kogi, Gorgie Dang, uh, Carlton Towns. That's kind of the core of their team. Um, Tyus Jones also. A couple other guys, uh, Jarrett Culver, who really struggled. But um, I think Minnesota really next year will probably be probably be a 35-win team, 36-win team, just because of how good the West is. I think in the East they'd be an 8 seed. Um Anthony Edwards, he's a beast, flat out scorer. But in an interview, he did say that if he could, that he loved football first before he loved basketball. He just realized when he dunked, how good he could be at basketball. I guess, and that's what he says. And he worked his ass off on it, and got real good. Um, but he said that oh, if if he, could, if he knew he could play in the NFL, he'd he'd stop playing in the NBA, which I don't love. Um, and his draft interviews, people, scouts didn't really were disappointed by him. Apparently, he's, he's immature, had some issues at. Um, at George, there's some complaints about him rapping real loud. He's apparently trying to become a rapper. Um, he's also kind of immature, kind of does what he wants. He's arrogant. Though he is, he's a beast, and that's why he went number one. So we'll see how that works out. I think he'll be good. I don't think he'll be great. He kind of reminds me of Andrew Wiggins, honestly, honestly from that. We all know how that worked out for Minnesota, but he kind of reminds me of that. Uh, re- real talented, but doesn't seem like he has a great work, work ethic. So we'll see how that goes. The Warriors took Wiseman at number two. To me, that was the easy decision. They needed a big. They haven't had a good big in a long time, and he fits it. He fits what they need. Good pick. I thought they might trade it to try to contend next year. I understand that they didn't. Makes sense to me that they didn't, just because they don't. It's no guarantee. Like in the Warriors, the Warriors of the past. It's, oh, if we get another guy, worth it. And probably good they didn't because Clay Thompson tore his Achilles, um, literally the day of the draft, basically. And he's out for the year, so I feel real bad for Clay. Uh, the Warriors next year, I see them you know, with Steph Curry, with Draymond Green, Wiseman. I kind of see them as a 10 seed in the West. I don't see them make the playoffs anymore. 
not without Clay Thompson. They just don't have the firepower. But they do have Andrew Wiggins. So maybe, maybe an eight seed. Uh, the, I'd say their ceiling's a seven. Maybe a six if something goes crazy right for them. But I'd say their ceiling's about a seven. I'd say their floor is about a 13. I, I'd see them at about 10. I don't see them much lower than 12, only because yeah, they have Steph Curry. Um, pick number three, the Hornets got LaMelo Ball. Uh, the Hornets, you know, small market team, haven't gotten really a lot of attention. Devontae Graham is probably the most improved player last year. They signed, they let go Kemba Walker, signed Terry Rozier. Funny because people said, oh, they overpaid Rozier, and I actually thought that too as a Celtics fan. Basically, we got rid of Rozier and got Kemba Walker, which I loved. But Terry Rozier, three years, 56, people said it was too much. But Rozier, you know, 42% in the field, not great, but 40% from three is definitely an improvement. Uh, 18 points per game for about 20 mil a year. Not bad. His clutch stats are good. Pretty good defender. Um, kind of takes some wild shots, but I, I, I'm, I'm not really, I don't have a problem really with, with him. Um, it'll be interesting to see, I'm assuming LaMelo Ball will play the one. Uh, I mean, obviously he will. Um, where will, will they start Rogier Graham? I, I think Graham would compliment him better. Graham's more of a shooter. I think Rogier really is an early runner next year for the for sixth man of the year. Um, they have PJ Washington. They have Bridges, two athletic forwards who I like a lot. Um, they need to get rid of. They're still paying Batum's contract. Not that it matters because they're not really trying to get anyone. They can't really get anyone. But they next year will be pretty bad. But one thing I think would be cool is to see Graham, Rozier, and Ball because Ball is six seven, and so you'd have three guards out there, like three probably three point guards in college. Three or Lamelo Ball didn't go to college, but three point guards that yeah, you know, three guys that were point guards first, I should say. Rozier was from Louisville, Graham was at Kansas, and Lamelo Ball definitely was overseas in Australia. Um, it'd be interesting to see how those three would play. Dante Graham definitely can play off the ball because of a shoot. He's a shooter. Rozier's better with the ball in his hands. Um, but he could play off ball too, I believe. And, you know, Lamelo Ball would be the ball handler. And I think that three-guard that three guard lineup would, would probably end games a lot. I see Rozier coming off the bench, getting 30-plus minutes a game, probably the third-highest guy in minutes per game behind Ball and Graham. So it'd be close between, you know, also Washington and Bridges are getting a lot of minutes. But because Lamelo Ball is 6'7", he can probably guard a three. So Rozier, who's 6'2", and Graham is 6'1", they wouldn't be necessarily undersized because Lamelo Ball is on the ball 6'7". So they could run that three-guard lineup. So that's kind of cool to think about. Interesting to just think about what they could do with that. Um, pick four, Derek. Pick, excuse me, Patrick Williams for the Bulls. Don't love it. Not, not going to lie. A lot of people compare him to Kawhi Leonard. I didn't really know who he was before the draft. Um, he didn't start at Florida State, which is concerning to me. I know he got sixth man of the year in the ACC. But if you're not starting on college team, you're going to go fourth in the draft. Only, the only guys that have really done that got drafted that I, that I remember that are pretty big names are Dion Waiters, who was okay, but, you know, Dion Waiters is a good scorer, but we all know he's had his issues, never great, and uh, DiVincenzo on Villanova, who's good, but, again, not great. And those guys were not taken. Waiters was taken, I think, sixth or something, or high lottery, DiVincenzo mid-lottery. But, again, you know, I don't love the Patrick Williams pick at four. Very raw. Works hard. I, I think he can be good. I think there was better options available. Well, I think there was be- a lot of better options, honestly, I, th- I thought. Denny Advita from Israel was better. I thought Obi Toppin was better. I thought Okongwu was better. Um, at, let's go to pick number five. Cavs took Isaac Okoro. I would have liked to see them take um, Okongwu or Toppin because, yes, their best positions are the bigs right now in Love and Drummond. Drummond has one more year and before they decide what they want to do with him. Drummond's going to want a big deal, and his style of play doesn't win 
championships, but he deserves to get paid. He's, he's led the league in rebounds the last, like, three years. And so they could pay him. Um, Kevin Love's already on a max contract. The Cavs are in a really tough position where they can't market themselves because Cleveland's not an attractive city. They're not run well as an organization, so they're not really going to get a lot of free agency looks. So they have to rebuild for the draft. And they've tried to do that through Kevin Porter, Garland, who's been pretty bad, and Sexton's been pretty good. But they have, you know, Drummond and Drummond and Love. What will what will they do with that? Love's almost untradeable because he's getting a max deal. I really hope they don't pay Drummond a max deal. I think that if they paid Drummond a max deal and kept him with a lineup with the team they have now, with Kevin Love and with Garland, Sexton, Kevin Ford Jr., now Isaac Okor improving, I think they could really be a. And it's, it's, I think a year from now. They could be like a seven or eight seed in the playoffs, but they, I, don't, I don't ever see them competing for a championship. Um, so, Isaac Okoro, great, probably the best defender in the draft. Don't love it. The only reason I don't mind it is because the Cavs need forwards, wing forwards. They need, uh, you know, six foot six, seven guys that can shoot and that are quicker. And Toppin's kind of six nine, six ten. He's a bigger, he's a, he's a stretch four, and Okongu kind of is as well. So, I don't want Isaac Okoro fits what they need, but he was not the best player available. Um, so there's that. The Hawks take a Kung Fu at six. Love the pick. Um, the Hawks just keep getting better and better. I think the Hawks have one of the best features in the NBA. You know, they have Trey Young, they have Kevin Hurd, they have DeAndre Hunter, they have John Collins, who they have to decide if they want to pay him or not, but we'll see. And they have they have they have Cam Reddish. So they have a lot of guys. And now Kung Fu, they have a lot, a lot of guys. I mean, it seems like they know what they're doing. And I, I can definitely respect that because, you know, it just seems that they have a, they have a direction for, for what they want to do, you know. And I can, I definitely, definitely am impressed with their draft picks over the last couple of years, you know. So it seems like they're making the right, the right picks over and over again. Um... You know, it's just like John Collins. That worked out really well for them. Trey Young, they kind of they traded up to take him. You know, Trey Young, a lot of question marks with Trey Young. You know, he was so small. He was really, he was a real small guy. Um, but he, obviously, he's been incredible. He's been a miniature. People think he's a miniature Steph Curry, and he's been that good. He's been that good. So, I love the pick at number six. Um, I, I, now we're going. We'll talk about a steal or two before we end the episode. Tyrese Halliburton at number twelve for the Kings. I like a lot. Um, they don't know what they're going to do with Buddy Heald. The Kings don't. And, Bog- and Bogdanovich looks like he's going to leave, so they need more guards. Halliburton can shoot the ball pretty well. Good passer. Pretty good wing defender. Got a seven-foot wingspan. like the pick. Safe pick. I think he'll be a good player in the NBA for 10 years. I don't think he'll be great. I can see him being an all-star once or twice. But definitely a good pick. At 12, he should have I mean, Halliburton should have gone seven or eight. A lot of people think that. Uh, Washington, took, Washington took the boy, Denny Advida. I think it was nine, I believe. Nine or ten, I think it was nine. Like the pick, he's supposed to be top seven, top eight for the Wizards. You know, Avida, very high, very high IQ. A lot of question marks about him because he's from it. You know, because the Israeli league, it's hard to watch from America. You know, not a lot of scouting on him, but but he but he looks really good. Six ten, can move well, and I think there's a lot of upside to him. And then the last pick we'll talk about is Obi Toppin, the hometown hero from Dayton to the Knicks. The Knicks have a lot of forwards. They have Julius Randle, Todd Gibson, Bobby Portis. Um, you know, they have a big guy, Mitchell Robinson. They have a lot of forwards, Reggie Bullock and company. I, I don't, I don't, you know, it, it now doesn't make sense that they pay Julius Randle now that they have Toppin. What they'll do with Julius Randle, I don't know. Julius Randle's another guy who deserves money, 
but his his style is he's at his best when he's the second option to first option on the team where he can average 20 points to 10, 10 rebounds. It's just that because he's a 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, undersized four who likes to play the post, and his who, who, and he has a very consistent jump shot where he'll make three threes one game and zero the next, it's hard to know what you're going to get from him and count on him every night. And he's at his best when he's one of the top options, and I don't think Julius Randle's good enough to be a top option on a contending team. So what they'll do with him, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, to next episode, which actually will be coming really soon, we're going to talk, talk about projections for next year, where I think teams are going to land, what they're going to do, and, um, yeah, so stay tuned.